You know, it's not every day and it's not every person that gets to speak to Mercedes, McLaren, and Ferrari on the same day. But here we are with Tim Haraney, who has done that this morning. What time did your alarm go off, just so I know? Uh, it went off at, uh, my voice is a little raspy, but it went off at 5 a.m. <laughs> 5 a.m. Okay. Because we it's had... A, it's been a long day. <laughs> yeah, already, already. And, and you know, so we've had, obviously, the, the Mercedes car release. We've had a little bit more on McLaren. We have a little bit more on Ferrari. Let's start with Ferrari, because obviously the Lewis Hamilton stuff is still... I mean, listen, you know, Andretti not being in there and Alpine having, mm-hmm. or sorry, not Alpine, um, uh, uh, Sauber having issues with stake and, and legal stuff in Switzerland, all that stuff would be good, a good story. But Lewis Hamilton leaving is a year long story and going to Ferrari. And so you talk to Charles, you talk to Carlos about it. It sounds like Charles knew it was coming. It sounds mm-hmm. like Carlos had no idea. Yeah. Is so that, I heard. Is, yeah, yeah, no, you're you're right, Adam. So I heard from both of them. I did, I didn't get a chance to actually get any questions in, or I didn't get on the the media call. I kind of heard everything. Um, I heard the audio later. Mm-hmm. Uh, essentially, for for Carlos, he was. It sounded like he was notified of all of this like a few weeks before the news was leaked, and then we had the big blow up. And then for Leclerc, he actually knew like a few weeks before he even signed his longer term deal. So the deal that puts him at Ferrari for his words, you know, several seasons or several years, which is quite fascinating if you think about it, right? Because if you're Charles Leclerc and then you have an understanding that Lewis Hamilton is coming to your team. And then I think deep down inside, you have to question whether or not you're, am I still going to be the number one driver here or Or is he going to come in and replace me? I'm going to have to make it happen. Yeah. And that's, that's a tough thing for, a driver to have to, I guess, sort of fight through. I mean, I think like a, one of the things that he did say that was that I found really fascinating is the fact that, you know, when he looked at the team and their long term sort of goals and trajectory, you know, for him it was important to understand whether or not they were going to be able to 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 win and to be competitive. And for him, it he he basically made it. He basically said that you know it looks like we're going to be competitive here for the foreseeable future, which, you know, leads me to the point that I think what bringing Frederick Vasseur in and everything that he's done behind the scenes, he's obviously entering his second year with Ferrari um, and everything he's done behind the scenes. It really does, Adam, sound like that, you know, the team is kind of on a right sort of path and trajectory to kind of get back to to being a, a great team again. It's a pretty consequential hire, like already – um, the Fred, like I, nothing against Mattia Bonotto because, mm-hmm. because he was, uh, I think Mattia got a bit of a, sh- a the short end of the stick. I think he paid for some of the mistakes of the people that he did employ. Like he, he did put yep. those people in his, but if there isn't the mess up at Monaco, if there isn't the mess up at several other races, I think Mattia Bonotto is probably still the team principal here. And I don't know. And maybe you can shed some light on this. If Lewis Hamilton is going to Ferrari, uh, if Fred Vasseur isn't there, like, is that something Mattia Bonotto could have pulled off? I don't know. I don't, I don't think so. I honestly don't. I think a big part of, you know, getting Charles back for, you know, quite a few more years and then bringing a driver like Lewis Hamilton to your team. I don't think that gets done. If, 
you know, Frederick Fassur is not there because he has those relationships, right? I mean, he's had, he has that long standing relationship with Charles Leclerc. He has a long lasting relationship with Lewis Hamilton, you know, uh, was a big part of Lewis Hamilton's, uh, championship winning ways when he was in junior formulas, like Frederick mm-hmm. Fassur was there. He was a big part of it. Uh, and then outside of that, I think it's building just that winning culture internally. And it's something that you and I have, have spoken about in the past on the show where it's kind of like, you know, you've got big corporate Ferrari and at times it's kind of like they bleed into the Scuderia. I think for Frederick Vasseur, a big part of him kind of coming over was shielding everybody from that and kind of pushing back on that front where it's like, we have a race team here that we need to kind of keep as a race team because Vasseur is a racing guy, right? Like he's not, he's not like an executive or he's not from another you know, big company where he ran or was a vice president of something. He is a racing guy. He came up in racing. He ran his own teams. He's, you know, second go around as a team principal in a formula one team. So for him, you know, I think it's, it was very important to shield everybody from that uh, side of the business and side of Ferrari. Well, it's a, uh, it's, it's, I mean, it's the coup of all coups. Did you get the sense of, you know, you're, you're listening back and you're, and you're, because my my question is now Carlos Sainz's mood. Yeah. Um, obviously, we know he's going to be motivated. He was never not motivated. The guy won a race last year, right? He's the only other one. Yeah. Um, and he did mention. I, I saw some interviews with him in the press yesterday that there are plenty of opportunities for him. Yeah. Um, what do you think Carlos Sainz wants to get out of his last year with Ferrari? For him, it's winning. Obviously, winning a championship if it's if it's possible and just try to just try to enjoy his last season in red because he knows how important it is for a driver to get to Ferrari. And when you do get to Ferrari as a racing driver and you compete there for a few years and you win there, which is really important, you then that opens a lot of other doors for you in Formula One because it's not like you're getting someone who's from the back of the grid and you're kind of just sort of leapfrogging up the grid, you're, you would be taking a driver who was at the sharp end of the grid, Mm -hmm. bringing them back to you and having them instill that sort of winning culture, winning atmosphere within your team because they've done it. And I think for, for Carlos science as a value that adds a ton of value to any team. And so for, so for him, to get the best out of Ferrari for this season. And then it just sounded like, you know, try to enjoy it as much as he can before he has to leave. Just, just Tim, you know, I know it's pretty hard for anybody to conceive and it's probably very unlikely given Red Bull's dominance since 2021. But what if he did win? Oh, that'd be awesome, man. Like, like what if think he won? Like, let's think, think about that for a second. He wins the driver's title. Well, <laughs> You're going there, eh? I well, yeah. I mean, listen. I know. I think he'll win a race this year. He won one last year. There's no reason to believe he he won't win one, right? Yeah, I can see that. Charles is clearly the the number one guy there until Lewis shows up, and then we'll see. Um, what if what if Carlos signs? Forget even winning the world title because I'm sure people watching this are like, why are we having this discussion? It's going to yeah. be Max. <laughs> like, I get it. What if he something that is completely doable beats Charles' point total? What if he's second? 
on the grid? What if he beats a guy like Sergio Perez, who's, you know, in a better car? And I, by the way, I know that I noticed that Ferrari is not doing the, the same suspension as everybody else. So that's going to be very interesting to see how that works out. Uh, What do you think about, what do you think about that? It would be, in my opinion, like one of the greatest stories of the season. (laughs) He was able to do that. I don't think like I can see like him winning for sure. I can see Mm -hmm. that, but not a championship. I just what if he beats if he beats Charles though. I mean, that's it's possible. He's already done it once, right? And he almost did it for a second time last season. And yeah, it just would add so much more value to what he brings to a team and. Uh, on the flip side of that, it it also increases his likelihood of going to like a bigger team, say like a Mercedes, for instance, if not going to Sauber and helping Sauber usher Audi into F1, it would, you know, I, I strongly consider the Mercedes would take a, a very hard look at what Carlos is doing because that would add so much value. And then you're not really you're not taking a huge step back of the grid, right? Like, yeah, you're going to yeah. Mercedes. I yeah. mean, it's like a, you know, <laughs> that team is legendary. So it's, it, it would be, it, it would probably, I think, do something like that for him. So instead of it being like a backwards move, it'd be more of a lateral move, in my opinion. Well, and, and Sauber, you know, the Audi thing is going to be great when it happens, but we're yeah. still a couple of years away from that. And yes, I know Sauber has won world championships as a team in the past, but it's been a long time. And any any driver that goes back there, it's like, you know, while you're at Ferrari, kind of like what Daniel Ricciardo was while he was at Red Bull and then while he was at Renault and doing well, um, you know, you see how quickly the fortunes of a driver can change, yeah, even can. if it's not really their fault, even if the car is really at fault. Yeah. Um, so I think Carlos has got to be kind of careful here with, you know, he's got a great car underneath him, we think. Um, Ferrari seems to think that they have a winnable car, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. I, you know, I think starting off, it kind of, I think for the team itself, it may take a few races like other teams because when I take a look at the SF twenty four, it it uh, you know the it looks different from last year's car. Obviously, mm-hmm. like a lot of teams does, but again, it looks similar to to Red Bull and what they've done with you know RB nineteen and even bits of RB twenty because we got to see some uh, behind the scenes uh, footage yesterday of the RB 20 doing a, uh, a filming session yeah. at, at Silverstone, which we weren't allowed to see, but we got to see some of that. So anyways, little pieces of that, you could kind of tell and zoom in and take a look and compare the two. But I really do think that Ferrari can be competitive, maybe not straight out of the box, but maybe further down the road in this season. And I do actually see them being able to compete for, race wins eventually i just think it's for them trying to understand what they have because adam i mean if we go back to last season one of the key issues with you know that car was the fact that it just handled like crap when there were gusts of wind or the wind was heavy or there were temperature changes and the car and the drivers struggled with both managing the tire because of all of these changes and the car is very sensitive. I think for this year's car and the development that they've done, they've really created something that has a very stable platform. And you did mention, you know, suspension and stuff like that. And I think that's going to play a key role for a lot of teams this year, not only trying to find downforce, but but how how does their suspension on their cars actually 
work compared to a, an RB19 or the RB20. And I think for Ferrari and both of their drivers, having that stable platform, I think is going to be crucial. Do you think that they've made the right choice with their suspension versus what I think Mercedes, Williams, uh, McLaren, and I, I think Red Bull's doing it too, are they not? Yeah, I mean... Which is, what, by the way, can you explain that for us lay people? Yeah, uh, it's uh, it's a very complex and it's a very complicated subject. And I'm, I'm trying to get an F1 engineer to come on and sort of go simplify through it. all of this. Yeah, simplify it for all of us. But a, a big thing that a lot of the teams noticed that Red Bull was doing with their suspension is, is called anti-dive and anti, you know, squat control. So how does that weight transfer uh, for the driver when the driver hits the brake pedal and you have a massive amount of weight transfer from the back of the car to the front of the car, uh, which is anti-dive, right? So that mm-hmm. the front of the car would dive down because you have so much weight transferring from the rear to the front in a heavy braking zone. And then the anti-squad is essentially when you go back to the throttle, go back to the gas, and you you punch it, and then you have that big amount of weight transfer to the rear of the car, so the front end lifting up. And a lot of these teams, what they've been trying to to battle and and uh, limit are those big moments of of anti-dive and anti-squad. If you can get the platform a little bit more uh, stable, and you can. Uh, eliminate those big amounts of of anti dive anti squat then essentially you're you're keeping the the platform of the car at a reasonable level where it's not moving around too much so the aerodynamics are still working properly and uh yeah again still running a push rod front suspension and a pull rod at the rear which again is a very <laughs> it's a very complex and complicated yeah. system i could explain but then that you know i'd lose everything well then so. we'd, we'd be here for hours <laughs> <laughs> yeah so just, and you know 95 percent of this car adam is brand new which is oh, wow yeah it's a lot it's huge it's, it's huge. huge yeah um i want to move on to mercedes here tim because uh yesterday they the, the account their their twitter account said uh are you a fan of black or are you a fan of silver? And what we got today was a little bit of both. Now we, yeah. uh, after winning six or seven, you know, seven championships in a row, they went to the silver arrows with the new, um, the new car two years ago and the car stunk and everybody's like, go back to back black, please. They went last year. Car was better. Uh, they've scrapped the entire idea of the car. Now, yeah, it's, now it's a completely different car. What do we learn other than the paint job, which it's nice to see a little bit of something, other than the paint job, what do we see with Mercedes? Yeah, I mean, it's like you said, right? Totally new philosophy, much like what Aston Martin's kind of built when I take a look at the two cars, I mean, last season. And I think, uh, again, you know, it goes back to that stable platform for the team to build upon. And I think that allows them to go in a couple different directions for the drivers when it comes to setting it up at different tracks. Um, it allows them to be more aggressive they can play in areas which is extremely important um for the drivers right if you're if you're getting a car that doesn't really have a big window for you to work within i mean you're really screwed so for this one it's a completely new chassis brand new gearbox casing in the rear uh i think aerodynamically though the team is really focused a lot on efficiency and like everyone else, trying to find more downforce without sacrificing that drivability that I keep saying for for both of their drivers. I mean, you know, James Allison, who's their uh, technical director, so he's kind of like the brains behind the operation here, said that a, a big focus 
was on improving, you know, the previous car's unpredictable rear axle. So the rear end of, of the car, a lot of oversteer moments, snap oversteer and not being able to really control that, making sure it retains better control uh, of the rear tire uh, than the W14 did. They've also done a lot of work on their, their car's DRS effect. I don't know if you guys remember like when, you know, we were, where was it? It was Saudi Arabian Grand Prix and Max Verstappen was passing guys like they were standing still in the straight oh. because of the DRS effect that they were yeah. able to activate with that car. So that's something again, that Mercedes has really been investing a lot of time into is really understanding and, and exploiting that. I think like, you know, James Allison, you know, he's different from Mike Elliott. So the guy who built uh, the W13, the W12, and has now moved on from Mercedes, doesn't work there anymore. James Allison was the guy who who engineered and 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 brought to life a lot of Mercedes's championship winning cars. And mm-hmm. now he's back. And this is sort of his stamp on on this iteration of regulations. He was quite confident and felt that you know they had a they had a good winter in terms of their development. And you know, this time last year, they weren't that confident at him. They just weren't. So he's so he's actually sitting there, and he's 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 sounding confident. He's feeling yeah. good. Yeah. Okay, here's my here's what we got by my count. All right, we got Aston Martin saying Red Bull's beatable. We got Ferrari feeling pretty good about themselves. We got Mercedes saying things that we haven't heard them say in years. Um, you know, it's 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 interesting with technical directors because they tend not to lie. Yeah, they they true. usually like like it's remember last year when we we were talking about their troubles McLaren had, um and how deadlines were missed. Even Zach Brown was like, "Yeah, we missed some deadlines. It's not going to be pretty, right? Things yep. just didn't weren't great." Yep. I I think it's interesting with James Allison coming in and saying, "Yeah, I'm feeling pretty confident because he does have a lot to lose." When you you have the championship pedigree, then you then you left the team or you moved on. I forget where he went and what he did. He started uh, working. So, so Allison sort of, he was still a part of Mercedes, but I think like a big part of what he was doing were other projects outside of Mercedes, like yacht racing and things like oh, that. Oh, okay. Okay. So, yeah. But he was, so he's got this championship pedigree. It's a new set of rules now. So he's yeah. now putting himself to the test with a completely dif- different set of rules and a cost cap that he wasn't dealing with before, right? Mercedes yeah. could just outspend other teams uh, unless it was like Ferrari who could not outspend them. And you know, I think um, I think it'll be interesting to hear or to, to see the results on the track because if uh, if he's right, he's a genius, right? Yes. Like you're, you start <laughs> to talk, you know, the way people talk about Adrian Newey, right? Do you not start to talk about James Allison the same sort of way? Maybe not to that effect, but he's on a, he's on the path to being one of the best engineers ever. If not. You know, if the car goes backwards or they have to, you know, they go through the first five races and go, this is terrible. The Both drivers hate it and it's going to take us all season to get it back on track. And maybe we can squeak a third or a second out of this. That is not acceptable in Mercedes view, obviously. Um, and it would be damaging to his reputation. It's a big risk he's taking coming out and being confident about it. Yeah. And hearing from Toto, like, I think he understands that, you know, it could be a a tough start, but. For him, for Toto himself, I think he just wants them to have a car that has a stable platform, something they can build upon. Uh, If you go back to last season, um, for example, in Bahrain, when Fernando Alonso finished on the podium and 
he was saying like, Hey, this is, you guys have built an incredible car. We have so many different directions. We can go with this thing now and et cetera, et cetera. So for Aston Martin, that's their platform, right? That's their aggressive platform that they came out with. It gave the drivers a ton of confidence, drivability, and then they can go in different directions. Now they tried to go in a different direction and it really backfired on them, but they learned a lot from that. Right. But then we're able to reassess, get back to where they were and, build in that direction that they wanted to go in for Mercedes. They still have to learn that, mm-hmm. right? They still still need to figure out that direction, right? They, they need to figure out like, Hey, we got a stable platform now and we got a car that has a big balance window and the drivers are going to be comfortable, but we need to really nail the directions that we're going to take this car in. Because I think for, I think for, for Lewis, when, you know, he finds out that, and I'm just, going off my own thoughts here, but I think he finds out what, you know, the car is and potentially how long it could take them to get the downforce less that they actually need to fight for a world championship. Because at the end of the day, when the, these engineers are back at the factory, right, they're looking at those data points like, okay, we're here, but we need to get here and we need to figure out how much downforce do we need to get here and how are we going to achieve those objectives? Mm-hmm. Right. And it's kind of like a, it's kind of like, it's not a straight line, right? It's there's up and downs to it to get there. Sure. And so I think for a driver like Lewis, it's something like, Oh, you know, I'm, I'm going to be in my forties here. And like, do I, I have win, time for this? Yeah. I want to win an eighth. Do I have time? Like, do I feel that Ferrari is in a better place, better trajectory? Like what do they have going on? And, and I think it's stuff like that that kind of sends a driver to another team. But again, you like you said, Adam, I mean, they're working with a, with a guy like James Allison. This guy's won championships. He's worked and built championship winning race cars. I mean, they're, could they hit a home run here and be close to Red Bull at the start of the season and then maybe challenge them later on in the season? Yeah, I don't see why not. What happens... Uh, you know, I, I asked this question about Carlos Sainz, but what happens if Lewis Hamilton comes close to or wins a driver's championship with Mercedes? <laughs> yeah, it's funny, right? I was talking to uh, I was talking to a buddy of mine about that, and it's kind of like, I mean, what happens if this car is, like, really friggin' good? Yeah, what if and, it's an amazing car? Right, and then, like, Lewis starts winning and then wins a world championship, potentially, mm-hmm. and then Ferrari stinks. And they're looking at, he's looking at Ferrari being like, I'm going there next year. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. You know, like what, what, like that, that, those are, those are some really interesting questions that I am absolutely fascinated to see play out if they do play out at all. Yeah. And I mean, more than half the grid already doesn't have a contract for next year, but just the Lewis Hamilton storylines alone are going to be crazy. And I think Tim, like what if, what if Lewis Hamilton, cause when he, when the car's good, he's very complimentary over the radio. What if he at race five, kind of like Fernando Alonso last year, goes, "This is the best car I've ever driven." That is going to be <laughs> that awesome. is going to be bonkers. And, and here's great. the thing: as the season goes on, and they start to shut him out of the engineering conversations, right? Because I'm, I'm sure they already have. Yeah, there'll um, be a point. Yeah, right. Yeah, there'll be you a know, point I, like, when that happens. Yeah, yeah, and and I I uh, I, I mean, listen, it's Ferrari. Uh, they eventually, we all know Ferrari's going to win another world title. We know that. Just a question of when. Um, I don't think he, it's the worst thing that, that they are, you know, that he's doing this when the regulations change. Cause I know Ferrari's already sold him on. Here's where we, we're at with that part of the, uh, the development. 
But I do, I do think if Lewis comes out and has like a crazy start, this is going to be one of the most fascinating years of Formula One we've ever seen. And it really even doesn't matter. Like, I don't think Max is going to win as much as he did, but it doesn't even matter if he does because there's so many other things going on here um, for true race fans and for just passive fans, fans that are watching Drive to Survive. It, you're already thinking years ahead. It's very cool. Oh, unbelievable, man. And like, <laughs> if things go oh. wrong, it gets even better. Oh, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, before we before we talk about your uh, your soon-to-be trip, I know you're packing already. Um, I want to talk a little bit about McLaren. What do we learn about them this morning? Because we'd already seen the li- delivery uh, in January because they're like, you know what? Screw it. Let's drop it. I loved that about them. Yeah. Um, I did see some Zach Brown... Uh, Red Bull comments that I want to get to. What do we know about the car? What did you hear about from Lando and Oscar and Zach this morning? Was Andreas Seidel on that as well? Uh, so Andreas Stella was there. Stella, Seidel is now Seidel. working for Sauber. That's okay, buddy. I'm still not used to it. No. Yeah, Stella. <laughs> Stella. Jeez. Yeah, so no, um, so I was, I was on a call with uh, Andreas Stella, Lando Norris, Oscar Piastri, and they had just finished doing their, um, I guess, a you know, shakedown run. They they took the car out onto the track. It was wet at Silverstone, so mm-hmm. kind of really hard to gauge where <clears throat> the car is actually at for them. Mm-hmm. Like that was because they can't you can't push the car. Then there's not really much you can do. So yeah. for them, just trying to find a data point. I think for them that was also difficult, is from what Andre Stella told us, but. Uh, they, I mean, they they have a good place. They started in a good place, I think, for this year because of where they left off from last year. Mm-hmm. I think, again, like it's all about that evolution of your platform from last year. And this really does look like that ev- ev- evolution. It's not like a, uh, it's not like a huge right turn for them like we've seen with, you know, maybe Ferrari and definitely for Mercedes. It's, it's more of an easy little turn. Like they don't Building. have to go a huge distance to get on to, I would say the same main plane as like Red Bull is on. Mm-hmm. And so that's why, like when I look at McLaren, they're just so exciting for me to see because, you know, this is a team that, you know, I remember being a kid watching Ayrton Senna winning, winning a McLaren and, you know, cheering for them and like just because of you know Senna, and this was like a team that was steeped in tradition and history. Let's give let's give Alan Prost his uh his, Alan, his flowers as well because he won a yeah, ton yeah, and no right. one you're wants right, to right, give him right. any credit. Hundred percent, you're right. Um, but like for for me to see where McLaren was, where they went, mm-hmm. and to hear Lando Norris just say like, "Hey, this is a this is a team now." You know, we're firing on all cylinders here. This is the best the team has ever looked since I've been here. And to hear him say that, and like Lando's pretty upfront with you, he'll tell you when something sucks. And so to hear him actually say that, it's it's very uh, intriguing because I don't think they think they're going to come out of the gates like you know punching Red Bull in the face. But I think that as the season carries on, you know, the first five to seven races that's where we're going to start seeing them creep up get closer to red bull and they feel they can challenge them for wins and so i mean that that would be uh that would be incredible i mean that's that's what we that's what we're all here for so that is four teams now yeah four teams who have now come out and said red bull's beatable we can get them Four. Essentially, yeah. Essentially they these teams have feel like they can come away with some wins now whether or not they're going to be able to 
win a constructor's title or uh, fight for a driver's world championship. I mean, that remains to be seen. I mean, Max is still incredible. And so there's that. Uh, and again, we don't know what, how big of a step our Red Bull has taken for, for this year. We just, we just don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're not going to know until, you know, we get to race one, but I mean, these guys know their stuff, right? Like they, they, they know what they're doing. And so when they come out and they, they act a little bit more confident than they were last season, that's a good sign. Do you sense vulnerability and that, because, because when you have vulnerability in, in formula one teams will pounce on it, the Christian Horner situation, um, is a vulnerability for Red Bull. There, it, it just is, right? You, you've got, you've got a, uh, the guy that's been there since 2006, since the very, very beginning, who could potentially lose his job. He's apparently going to be there for the car launch. Won't know anything for a few more weeks. But are you feeling like if your team like Aston Martin, your team like McLaren, your Mercedes, your Ferrari, you're looking at Red Bull and go, wow, they're so dominant and they might tear each other apart from within because be, mm-hmm. going on, we talked about this on a previous episode. It's more than just the allegations against Christian. It's the, the reported rumors of the Verstappen helmet Marco camp moving against him anyway, outside of those mm-hmm. um, Red Bull seems like a team that could be in some chaos. Now they're going to execute. Well, you know, they're going to have great pit stops. You know, they're going to have great strategy come race day, but this is now a team that doesn't seem as rock solid and steady behind the scenes. And that does leak through onto the track. I think so. I mean, we've seen it before with, with past teams. I I would say, you know, McLaren was kind of like one of those teams for quite a while in the sort of, you know, at the Ron Dennis, you know, back end over the Ron Dennis sort of era and ushered in Zach Brown. And Zach has spent, you know, a long time, long time, turn this you know big ship around and he's done a really great job of doing it but essentially you know all these great teams sometimes they can cherry tear each other apart from within but when you've got a guy like i mean adrian newey there i it's uh it gosh you're you're really going up against a really strong technical department who really understands this regulation really mm-hmm. understands what the car needs, really understands his driver. Um, I would say drivers, but I mean, I, I think this car is really, you know, it's built towards Max's driving style, uh, pointy front end, uh, kind of twitchy, likes a lot of oversteer, really likes to get it into the corner, hustle a car, mm-hmm. uh, compared to, you know, Sergio more smooth, likes a bit of understeer. And um, for Adrian Newey to understand what, he has at his disposal in the driver department. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, it's great for him, right? He can really build something and very impressive. Like we've already seen, but yeah, to your point, Adam, I mean, could they uh, not, I mean, is this not the time to pounce? I, you know, it feels you, like it. you would think so, right? Like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, I mean, we'll, and we'll know more, right. As this, as the next few weeks sort of unfold uh, for us, but yeah, at well, the moment, you know, one of the things I also know, and I know this because Zach Brown is is a is a very pointed guy. Um, you know what his issues are going to be that year, right? He was a big cost cap guy, um, <laughs> and he told you about it. His issue this year, and I think you'll hear this again and again and again, is Red Bull's ownership of two teams. Now, yeah, that's a good. You point. know, uh, Tim, you mentioned uh, you mentioned in the last episode that when Red Bull bought 
what was Minardi. Um, they were essentially doing Formula One a favor because there was no way that Minardi was going to stay. It was barely a team anyway, honestly. Like you read about the 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 final sort of Minardi days and um, in uh, uh, oh my gosh, he's a Red Bull driver, and I talk about his book all the time, Weber's book, Mark, Mark Weber, Weber. Yeah, Mark Weber. Yeah, yeah. You know, he in his first race he got points, and they're like, oh my god, you got points. This is crazy. Um, you know, Minardi was underfunded and not particularly well run, and and it had its moments, but it wasn't you know. It wasn't like one of the top teams really mm-hmm. ever. Um, and what what Zach Brown said, and I thought this is really, really interesting. He said, you have uh, to have an A-B relationship to have co-ownership of two teams, I think, isn't a level playing field. That's not what really – sorry, that's not what the fans expect. And so the FIA really needs to do something about it. He also said that when it comes to teams voting – on particular items passing. And I think this is an allusion to Andretti, although I don't know. I don't know how the teams voted for that. He said, even when it's not in their interest, both teams vote the same way always. They vote as a block. And that's 20% of the grid. So already, Red Bull, whatever the question is at, at, at you know, you know, that they need to vote on, Red Bull controls 20%. Every other team controls 10% of the vote. So he is saying that that's unfair. I can understand that point of view. Um, if he keeps pushing on this, is there really anything the FIA is going to do about it? Because it doesn't feel like doesn't feel like there's much. Um, there were reports yeah. of, of of them potentially selling the AlphaTauri team last year, but I don't know if that that was real. Where do you think yeah. this is coming from? Um, if you take a look at you know, North American sport. And if I'm not mistaken, you know, the NFL's constitution, I think, you know, they forbid their owners from owning any other professional, you know, franchises, football teams. And I same goes towards the MLB as well. Uh, I'm not sure, but the NHL, um, I don't know if you can own two NHL teams, mm-hmm. but when you look at professional sport, and Formula One and how far it's come and what it's kind of turned into now. We have this global like juggernaut that so many people are now watching and the content they're consuming. And you you kind of want it to be that professional level where it's, hey, you know, this is what the big leagues are doing. Mm-hmm. We need to kind of do the same because it's not fair for everyone else who comes into F1. And I think... Another part of that is also, you know, how much of the, you know, how much of that V carb, you know, how much of the RB19 is in that V carb? Like we, mm-hmm. we don't know, right? I mean, we just, we just don't. And it, it's up to the FIA to police that and to mm-hmm. see what, what's going on there. And, and again, we don't know what their performance parameters are going to be. We don't know how good V carb is going to be, but if they are going to be, that's like, you know, front of the field and if they're fighting for for podiums and stuff i think a lot of the teams are going to be like what the hell like we dumped a ton of we dumped a ton of money into our infrastructure our team building our own components building our own car i mean look at what mclaren's done i use them as an example because they are one of the examples so is aston martin i mean mercedes is you know they're they've got that stuff figured out but they have a huge operation same with ferrari and same with you know red bull racing but when it comes to that junior program that they've got. Well, I guess it's not really a junior program anymore, but their other team that they own. I mean, is that fair? Is that fair to own 
two teams to have that controlling interest because then you're also, uh, if you think of the constructor standings as well, right? Top 10, there's a payout at the end of the year. First place gets the most, second place, blah, 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 all the way down to 10th, you get the least amount. So yeah. if you've got a car that's now, you know, p- potentially what what could finish, I don't know, top three in the constructors, then like, mm-hmm. okay, so how is that fair for Mercedes? How is that fair for the other teams that have done all of these other things? So I think that's kind of where Zach is co- coming from. And I didn't get to ask him because I, that was going to be one of my questions to him, but he wasn't on the call. Mm-hmm. I already had the, like the, the question out. <laughs> Uh, was essentially, you know, my, my question was essentially, I just wanted to get his thoughts and if something could be changed and, you know, how would he go about changing that dynamic? Because to me, you know, when I look at it, it is a fascinating thing though. Hey, Adam, when you, when you look at this, because it's kind of like, unique to the sport. Yeah. Because like, you know, when we watch North American sports, I mean, how many other major North American teams, how many like of those owners own another team that are in the same sport? I think I can remember a CFL, and again, this was the an owner doing a favor to the league, buying, I think, the Argonauts. I think the BC Lions owner owned the Argonauts for a little while until they could find an owner for the Argonauts, who ended up being Maple Leaf Sports. So like that, and again, you know, much different economic class, the CFL, yeah. the F1. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, so I, I don't know. You know, I think it's I think it's it's a good point that you know I said last episode. I'm like I don't know. It's kind of like a fun wrinkle or whatever, but I don't think it is. Maybe uh, maybe I'm I'm turning around on this one because uh, as Zach normally does, he usually presents a compelling argument. It's yeah, very. What do, you, what do you think though? Because he's coming from that North American sort of sort of mindset mm-hmm. where a lot of us you know who live in North America come from, right? I think it's a throwback to the past. I think it's it's what. I mean, it's a, it's a, and then I say throwback to the past of like when, um, you know, when 2008 hit and the crash hit and, you know, you know, the, the reason we get the Braun, uh, GTs and the reason that we get a, a Toro Rosso rather than, you know, the minority team folding is because of what happened at that time. And I, I, it is, it's a throwback. It's something that is a weird sort of wrinkle in the sport that we have all just sort of accepted. But in a vacuum, it doesn't make any sense, right? Like, you, you, there's no way that any sports league starts today and goes, great, let's have a couple teams owned by the same person. Especially, like, it's one thing when it's a football team. You can share plays, I guess, but no one's going to do that. Um, Formula One is 70% engineering. Yeah, right? it's, it's, yeah, yeah, it's so it's, 70. It's I've heard it as high as 90. Engineering is numbers. Engineering is technology. You share that. It's going to give you a pretty big advantage. And um, I can understand Zach Brown being like, listen, I hired Daniel Ricardo because I thought he was a fabulous driver. And he, you know, we all saw the times that he put in to get back in that AlphaTauri car last year, which was Max Verstappen's previous year's car, right? So this guy is a great driver. Yuki Sonoda, for the mistakes and the brain farts that he has, is he's a very, very quick driver, um, and he's going to be in the sport a long, long time. So, yeah, I'd be if if that team, if that V Carb team is out there in playing around in the top five, you know, pushing the Aston Martins and the McLarens down, or or challenging a Ferrari, challenging a Mercedes, I think I think there's going to be a lot of conversations about about how long this is tenable. I just don't know what the FIA's rule book and god god help me i'm sure it's pretty long um yeah. i don't know what the rule book says about about forcing selling 
Like, how do you force in the NBA? They can force a sale, right? I think in the NHL, you can force a sale. We saw the NBA do it with Donald Sterling and the Clippers. Does the FIA have that kind of the FIA can't even get Andretti in? Like, do they have the teeth to be able to do that? I don't know. Yeah. And, that, and then you have to ask Formula One, like, what, what can, you know, what can they do on their part from their end? How do they, you know, not force a sale, but encourage one where it's like, you know, you guys are doing pretty good as Red Bull Racing and Red Bull as a brand is doing very well. And mm-hmm. you have your, you know, your, your other team here. And it's kind of like, all right, well, we've got some other interested buyers. And mm-hmm. I'm sure you would probably get a very good penny for it, probably well above, you know, asking value for Huge. it. And yeah. if the team is really competitive, then that's going to inflate your number uh, even more. And so, yeah, that would lead to more encouragement, I would think. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's all about what they want to do with it because it's it's theirs. They own it, right? They, they went out of their way to save it, mm-hmm. bring it, put it into Formula One as Toro Rosso, and they did F1 a favor. And that was back in like the, you know, back in the day. And so things have changed uh, quite a lot. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think... I tend to agree with Zach in the fact that they this is something they should look at. This is something that should be looked at in terms of how much this team builds their own stuff. Like I think that they and I'm sure the FIA already has done their due diligence in that front because every team has to be pretty transparent. Mm-hmm. When you look at like the teams now and a lot of these Zoom conferences or press conferences or people I've spoken to that in the past like three weeks, you know, it's not that they're looking at it as a big three anymore, Adam. They're not looking at it as Red Bull, Mercedes, Ferrari, and then that's it's it. And five. then there's everyone else. Yeah, they're looking at it as a big five. Like there is now a top five, and those teams mm-hmm. are Red Bull Racing. They are uh, Ferrari, Mercedes, McLaren, and Aston Martin. And it's kind of like, okay, well, you know, all of a sudden – you know, VCAR enters that conversation. These teams aren't looking at it like that because of the directions and the, how much money and infrastructure they've had to dump in and pay for and build up. It's, I mean, even if, like McLaren has their own, like making steel, like making their own steel components. Like McLaren's yeah. not, like McLaren's doing that yeah. in house, like in their yeah. own factory. Like it's, it's it's that's huge. That that's a big that's a big thing. So and it's a, yeah. It's definitely gonna be an interesting. It's definitely gonna be an interesting story, Adam. I mean, you. It's. I'm glad you brought it up because it's uh, something that's kind of boiling in the background for sure. Something to keep an eye on. Brain 100%. is on your horizon, sir. You're going on Sunday. Are you excited? Are you feeling good about things? What's yeah, the plan you, for next week? Yeah, you know what? I'm. Uh, I am. I'm really looking forward to this. It's going to be awesome. I, I got. A, I had a question actually, Adam, for, uh, oh. from Scott Watson. He uh, slid into the DMs, and Scott, if you're listening, we don't we don't know each other, but I'm texting him back uh, just so I can answer some of his questions. But like he's he's wondering, Adam. Um, he's attending his first F1 race ever in Bahrain for the season oh, wow. opener. Uh, tickets include attendance for Thursday, which is, uh, your practice Friday, which is going to be your qualifying and Saturday, uh, is the race because the race is on Saturday. It's not on Sunday. And he says, uh, what tips do I have other than the Grand Prix? What should I do? What can't I miss? Okay. Tim, what do you, what do you got? 
Oh, buddy. I mean, I think like if there's so many different ways that people can consume F1, right? There's yes. so many different ways people can consume a Grand Prix, a whole weekend. If you're hardcore, like you're going to practice, you're, you're comparing times, you're, you know, listening to what the analysts and the insiders are saying, you're reading the reports to see like, okay, who's where, where do people expect them to be once we get to qualifying? So then you, you're in the story now, right? Like, you know, the story coming into quality and then you kind of have a, an idea of, oh, that team, well, it looks like they screwed up on tuning and the balance issues. That's why that driver is, you know, 15th yep. and, and not fifth. And that's how close these grids are going to be this year, people. Like they're going to be, it's going to be tight. It's going to be tight. Um, tightest probably grids we've ever seen. Uh, and again, like I think if you want to be one of the hardcores, you're following the story and the narratives from practice all the way onwards. Uh, and, and if you're not and you're looking to just have a good time, I suggest definitely going to qualifying because you don't ever want to miss that. And then obviously, yeah, the Grand Prix and enjoying what Bahrain has to offer. Like, cause I know nothing about it and I'm learning everything as I go along here. So any, uh, any touristy things to do? I have no idea, man. I've never been. So like, dude, like one of the things for me is dude, like, so since I'm going to be there, um, you know, in lead into testing for testing for the first race of the season, like I'm going to have some time off and mm -hmm. I'm, been uh training quite a bit like i'm looking to do some triathlons in the summertime so i've been kind of focusing on you know training my health also my work and everything else and so i was looking at like okay where am i going to go to get my swims in and like i saw that you can actually uh you can they they've built an outdoor swimming pool like actually in their massive lakes like they, no way they built like a 50 meter pool and i'm like yeah, you know what? I actually might go and try that out. Wow. <laughs> that looks actually yes. pretty cool. So yes. honestly, Adam, I'm still like trying to learn, you know, everything and how it all kind of you know, works over there. Like I'm la landing at a really crazy time, landing at like one in the morning. I'm hoping I can get into my hotel room early, but dude, I, I have no idea. Like I could be like stuck in my hotel until two in the afternoon and I landed at <laughs> one in the morning. So like it could be, dude, it could be a wild ride and I may be smoked. I have no idea. Um, but yeah, I'm trying to do some fun things with the podcast when we get over there too. So well, yeah, it should be, should be fun. I'm, I'm going to be looking forward to it, Tim, and, and looking forward to your reports on whose car is actually going to be beating Red Bull because somebody's <laughs> going to eventually. So who's it going to be? Uh, but Tim, thank you so much. And Sunday, uh, Tim will be heading out to Bahrain. Uh, be on the lookout. We haven't quite determined the time yet, but we are going to do an SDPN Discord Q&A with Tim at some point in the next couple of weeks. We couldn't get it together this week because of my schedule, not Tim's. Uh, and we're going to have to do it probably midday because 11 a.m. here is 7 p.m. there, yeah. which is kind of yeah. wild. Uh, yes. So we'll, we'll, uh, we'll try to get it around maybe a lunchtime or something like that and, and have some fun with it. All right. Yeah. And then also, do we talk about the DTS stuff or? Oh, or do we no, wait? let's like, save the DTS stuff. Okay, okay. okay. No, no. I mean like, do, like, like when we're allowed. To oh, we're going to talk about it. Yeah. Okay, cool. So we will do like a review sort of thing. Oh yeah. All right, yeah, yeah. 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 Sweet. Yeah. That's gonna um, be fun, so man. Tim, thanks so much, man. We're looking forward to seeing what you bring back.